the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Might have been a year after I was converted to Christianity, a friend talked me into attending camp meeting with him. Camp meeting, though I understand actually originated in Britain, is really more a phenomenon of American frontier Christianity. The movement of thousands of settlers into new territories without permanent settlements meant that they were without religious communities. And not only were there a few houses of worship, there were even fewer ordained ministers to fill the pulpits. And so these camp meetings, which were led by itinerant preachers, was an innovative response uh, to the situation. Uh, Week-long camp meetings are still held, especially probably in the South, uh, and they are here in Alabama. But about 30 years ago, this particular camp meeting was in the foothills of the North Carolina mountains. And though I didn't spend the whole week there in one of the cabins, I did commit uh, to one night and to one full day. But I'll never forget that morning's uh, preacher or his message. There were several things that I won't uh, forget about the preacher. One was his uh, Carolina Tar Heel blue polyester ill-feeling suit. Uh, His extraordinary height but most of all, his uh, toupee, a non-convincing toupee uh, that didn't even come close to matching the hair uh, on his uh, sideburns. Thirty years and I can still see him. But above all, I remember the way he began his sermon. He began by asking a question. If you die today, he asked, how many, how many of you know without absolutely any question that your soul will be to heaven? Let me see your hands. He said, how many of you know without any question, 100% sure, that if you die today, you will be in heaven? And the preacher raised his own hand really high to show that he was uh, totally convinced and positive he was going to heaven. Well, I was sinfully annoyed. And I was thinking, how presumptuous for him to say he knows he's going to heaven. As far as I was concerned, this man was putting himself in the place of God, presuming to know the answer to who's in and who's out of the kingdom of God. I certainly was not about to raise my hand. All that by way of introduction, because I want to focus on just one little verse. And it comes from our epistle, from John's, uh, John's first epistle. Now, John is bringing this letter, this epistle, to a close. Before he closes out the epistle, he tells them why he has written in the first place. He had written them for one primary purpose. 1 John 5.13, I write to you this, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Could it be any clearer? I write to you who believe in the name of Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What a shame to interpret this uh, as if John was saying, I write this to you so that you will know that there's a pretty good chance if you play your cards right that you will be in the kingdom of God. No, he said, I write to you this and believe in the Son of God that you may know beyond all doubt that you have eternal life. 
And it's interesting that John's gospel closes in the same vein. John 20, 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name over and over and over again. The New Testament emphasizes this for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to them that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The camp meeting preacher was trying to preach this, but I wouldn't listen. Now, what are some of the common objections to this kind of a blessed assurance? Well, the one I hear most about is that it's unfair, it's unloving to nice people who, for whatever reason, do not believe in Jesus as Lord. Well, you know, it's really time to come to grips with the fact that God knows what he's doing. I mean, do we suppose that we have more wisdom than God and object uh, to this plan? Let us rejoice in the fact that our loving God alone knows how to deal with all sorts and conditions of unbelievers. We can get so involved with this issue that we rob ourselves of this humongous joy, knowing that God has a plan for troubled souls like you and me. Now, another objection uh, to having absolute assurance is that we insist on eternal life being uh, earned, merited at least a little, a little bit. It's as if people want to believe that before they can be absolutely certain and raise their hand about eternal life, they need to be a lot less sinful. But you talk about lack of assurance. Good heavens. If if eternal life were determined by the strength of our inherent righteousness, we would live in a severe state of suspense. And listen, when John wrote this epistle, he had already dealt with the fact that we're all sinners uh, he said, if you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us, but we confess our sins. God's faithful and just to forgive ourselves and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thanks be to God. He's already dealt with this issue. Thanks be to God for his grace and mercy. He's writing to folks who struggle just like you and I struggle. When he said, I write to this, I write you this to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. OK, we say, well, how much? How much belief do we got to have? You know, how, how, how strong does my faith have to be before I can have this kind of confidence? Well, you and I may have a flimsy. You and I just may have a flimsy, weak faith. Like a whole lot of folks did in the New Testament, I would add. Like the man with the vacillating faith in Mark's gospel who said, Oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Did Jesus turn him away? No. We may have a weak, flimsy faith, but the object of our faith is the sure foundation. Weak faith, strong faith, vacillating faith, whatever faith we have. Let us thank God and hear him say, I write to this, who you believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is not being presumptuous at all. God intends that we should know. He intends that we have this blessed assurance to comfort us, strengthen us, sustain us as we tread along this broken world that can jerk us around. And a, and a classic case in point from the 19th century is Fanny Crosby, who wrote this song. It is in, in 1875, she wrote Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. You know, Fanny Crosby was born in a shack. Her father died when she, 
when, when, at her 12th month. But when Fanny Crosby was six weeks old, she caught a cold in her eyes. And the family physician was away, so they called in another country doctor to treat her. And he prescribed hot mustard poultices to be applied to her eyes, which completely destroyed her eyes, and she was blind for the rest of her life. And it was later learned that this man was not qualified to preach, uh, to practice medicine, but he uh, left town right after that, was never heard from again. But we are told that Fanny Crosby never felt any, res- any resentment whatsoever, but she believed that all of this was a part of God's plan for her life. She later wrote, I now think of my earthly blindness as a blessing because the first person I will actually see will be Jesus Christ. Hence her very well-known hymn, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Over 8,000 Fanny Crosby poems were written to music. An amazing story. And I talk about Fanny Crosby uh, to say that sure and certain hope of eternal life, it creates patience in whatever life can throw at us. John wrote his epistle to people who had been disturbed by flimsy, pusillanimous teaching, and denials and claims of these false teachers who were dressed out in clergy garb. I don't know what they were dressed out in, but he wrote to false teachers. <clears throat> And he wrote in order that his readers might overcome this bad teaching and be encouraged and strengthened uh, to go forward. And John is writing also to you and me. Regardless of what life has in store for us, what greater source of encouragement and strength do we have? It's really a great tragedy that we should go on searching for hope and something to go on when it's, when it's right here before us. You know... I have absolutely no desire to stand up in this pulpit and preach about things that may or may not be true. Like that camp meeting evangelist, I now see it is a great privilege and a joy to say to believers of all sorts and conditions that you can know, that you should know, uh, without a doubt, that you have eternal life. Jesus Christ laid down his life and rose again, that it may be so. May God draw lucks at hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this for Jesus' sake.